So Jen, we're back today and I am so excited for our next guests. I've really been looking forward to speaking with both Robin Barron and Amy Gravino, and they are too interesting for me to possibly give their entire bio. So what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. is ask, um, is ask them to tell us a little bit about themselves and their background. I think that's um, a really good idea. Good. Oh, good. <laughs> Amy. Um, would you like to go first? Sure, absolutely. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Reed Foundation, for having me again. Uh, my name is Amy Gravino. Uh, I am an autistic adult diagnosed at the age of 11, and I am the relationship coach in the Rutgers Center for Adult Autism Services and the president of ASCOT Consulting. Thank awesome. You. Thank you for being here. Robin, how about you? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Robin Barron. I am a long-standing interior designer in Manhattan. And I am also the founder of RelationSpot, which is launching very soon. It's extremely exciting. It is a matchmaking service for the neurodiverse, for both love and friendship with integrated coaching and community building all wrapped in together. That sounds like an incredible task to take on. It really Can you does. tell us what led you to create this? Well, I'm the mother of a 28 year old, um, neurodiverse son who is you know quite independent on the spectrum and i have seen over many years i've been very very i'm the kind of person that gets involved i don't know how to stand away i have to just dive right in so i got very involved in his schools and with all kinds of organizations in the new york general area and i started to see firsthand all of these kids at the time they were kids how challenging connection was and as they got older you know, not only for friendships, but how much they wanted to find love in their lives. And um, so to make a very long story short, I connected with someone, we started doing classes in my home for neurodiverse people who uh, wanted to find love and friendship. And we, it was like relationship coaching, really, Amy, it was like, that's what it was like in my home. And um, one day I just said, you know what, there is really a need here. And so um, I connected with my friend, Deborah Rosenberg, who's my partner and my, my little sister's college roommate, and um, who also has a daughter the same age on the spectrum and uh, is also an interior designer. We had a lot in common and we pooled our resources together to develop Relation Spot. And we are now finally poised to launch literally within a few weeks. Wow, congratulations. I didn't realize you were so close to doing that. That's terrific, Robin. And, and you know it, it's perfect timing in terms of awareness, which I'm sure Amy Amy knows too. I mean, between Love on the Spectrum coming out with their third uh, and U.S. version right now, and there's there's you know people we're also coming out of. I mean, fingers crossed, COVID, so people can get together more. So we're really poised at a very very good time to be helping a community that's really truly desperately in need to find this connection in their lives. So Amy, I'm curious through your work, um, both consulting and at Rutgers, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you are hearing from the community and how, um, you know, potentially uh, an offering like what Robin is talking about can help to um, form social bonds and perhaps limit some of those barriers and challenges that so many of the people that we connect with and work with um, experience daily? 
Sure. Well, in the work that I've been doing both at Rutgers and through the consultations I offer via Zoom uh, with, with individuals and families, obviously there, there is a need. There's so many people who, who do want to be in relationships and want to build friendships as well. And, and the challenges are very real. Um, but it's, it's also very complex, the, the, these issues that we're dealing with. We know that when we're talking about relationships, we're not talking about something that's straightforward, that's, you know, A to Z. Um, and the thing with, with a reality show like Love on the Spectrum is that the participants are great and, and they're not the ones who, you know, you, you would have any doubts about, but the editing process can make things look somewhat differently than perhaps they actually were and can kind of streamline the whole process of what the, these folks are going through in, in trying to go on these dates and make these connections. And also you have a camera shoved in your face and how natural and relaxed can you be under those conditions? It's, it's not really a reflection, I think, of, of total reality. And so, you know, for, for a lot of folks on the spectrum, a lot of autistic people, the media does provide, you know, ideas about what a relationship is supposed to look like. And it can create some very rigid ideas in some people. Some people, may have no specific idea about what they want a relationship to look like. And some of the participants I've worked with have very specific ideas about what a relationship should be and how old the person they date should be and what they should, all these things. And so we have to, you know, that's the first kind of step is to really break it all down and think about what 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 is a relationship to you? What do you want out of a relationship? What do you want to bring to a relationship? Like, let's, let's define this first because, you know, many people, they have that longing and that desire, but the, you know, the actual realities are, are harder to kind of pin down sometimes. So I'm, I'm, I'm just meeting folks where they're at and everybody is, is at a different place, not just in terms of what they want, but how much knowledge they have, because many, uh, many autistic folks do not receive comprehensive and accurate sex education uh, in school. So, you know, I work with participants who might be in their mid to late 20s, but they haven't had, you know, sex education. And so that influences a lot of what they know or don't know about, about relationships and sexuality. So it's, it's really, you know, a, a multifaceted process. I think it's, it's, you know, it's just not straightforward. And I think um, I, I have seen other things like what Robin is doing start to prop up. Like so I saw something recently about speed dating for, for folks on the spectrum, but you can't just throw people into a speed dating thing and be like, here you go, speed date. You know, like you, there, there have to be some kind of supports in place and all too okay. often, Right when things are created for autistic people, those those supports are non-existent, or they're they're not explicit enough, or they're they're just lacking in some way. So yeah, we 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 need obviously programs and things to help people on the spectrum forge relationships and begin dating, but we need them to be done well. We can't we can't afford to have shoddily run and and organized things going because that that wastes everybody's time and that can potentially lead to more heartache I think for a, a lot of disappointment for autistic folks. Robin do you want to speak to the supports that you have in place? Yes because it is just so apropos what we're doing. I love you Amy. I love what you're saying. I, it completely resonates with me. Um, the thing that sets us apart first of all what we're doing doesn't exist anywhere because it's not a dating site. A right. few years ago Deborah and I thought okay great we want a dating site for the neurodiverse. But let's be real, dating sites don't work much for neurotypicals. How's it going to work for neurodiverse? So, so we instead are doing matchmaking and it's built in coaching because what, what Amy is saying is 100% true. You can't just make a match. Everybody is different the way they communicate, how they want to communicate, what they're capable of, what they know, what they don't know. So our matchmaking comes part and parcel with coaches, Relation Spot certified coaches that actually spend time 
hours with our members to be able to help coach them in relationships, sort of life coaching, in meet, making and meeting actual matches. We handhold them. And you know, what's interesting is just before COVID, we had what my son, my son is very involved, and this is really his brainchild, to be honest with you. So, and he's involved in Relationspot in a big way. He came up with the Dating Hub Social. He wanted to do something in person before we even launched the site. And this was right before COVID, February, 2020. And we wanted to keep it small. It was a test, you know what I mean? It was just a test. And so I figured we'd have like 20, 25 people. I did not announce it to all these groups that I'm connected to. But the word spread because there is such a need and desire for this that we ended up having 85 kids. It was extremely successful. And you could call it speed dating, but what Amy said is really true. Speed dating is not gonna work for the neurodiverse. You need to have coaching, handholding, you need some facilitation, you need to help them a bit with it. And we did. We had coaches from the New Frontiers program in New York. We had some of our own coaches. We, we, my son came up with Simon, his name is Simon. He came up with different types of like activities, games to be icebreakers. And it was extremely successful to where we even have one couple that's about to move in together. So, you know, it, Amy, you're really speaking the same language as we are. Our entire relation spot concept and edict is to um, really help this community with the supports they need so that they can truly be successful. You know, I, I want to go back to um, the whole COVID issue. It, it seems that COVID has really stunted um, socialization for so many people and made, um, you know, critical life experiences, you know, at certain times a little bit impossible. So Amy, I'm curious as to what you've seen um, through your work uh, about the impacts of COVID on relationships and, and even just a desire to kind of get out and forge those relationships. It's a little bit of inertia, right? As we're coming out of this long, this prolonged period. Certainly, certainly. Well, you know, many autistic people were isolated even before COVID and had challenges with, with getting out of the house or go finding places to meet people prior to COVID. And I, I, I think in some ways COVID has added to the isolation a bit. It has definitely made it more challenging for people to meet and socialize, um, you know, just in general, but then of course, in, in, in the sense of forming relationships. Um, I mean, it's an interesting thing because everybody I think has reacted differently to, to lockdown and COVID. Some people, whether autistic or not, have, have been, have preferred being at home, have, you know, felt more comfortable being able to do things virtually. Um, I, I think, you know, I agree that that obviously a lot of dating sites aren't appropriate for people on the spectrum, but the, there have started to be some that are exclusively are for people on the spectrum. I can't speak to the veracity of any of them. I haven't used them, but um, for a lot of people on the spectrum, it's easier to communicate online and on the computer than in person. There's a lot more challenges that are associated with, with meeting in person. Uh, so some people do feel more comfortable, you know, being able to connect in, in, in that way, not having to read body language and, and nonverbal cues and things like that. But then also, of course, I, I've, I know many folks on the spectrum who have, you know, felt lonely and isolated because of who want to be in person again, who want to try to have the opportunity to make connections in person. It's really, it's, it, it's so individualized. It's hard to make kind of a, a general statement. And I think, I think that the overarching gist is that for a population that already struggled to form relationships before the pandemic, it certainly hasn't made things any easier. 
mm-hmm. for 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 our, this population. So, yeah, it's definitely and the effects I think are going to be felt for some time because we're still we're not we're not out of the woods with COVID by any stretch. I, I don't believe so. We're yeah, it's going to be it's going to take time to find our way back to something even remotely remotely resembling normal. I think. So So I'm wondering for anyone out there um, who has autism and is looking for a relationship and and be it friendship or romantic and has no idea where to begin, what advice would you have for them? Where do you start? That's a great question. I mean, I always, I've told some of my my participants to think about, you know, what is it you look for in a friend and, and what do you, what do you do to be a friend to somebody? Well, you know, so it's, it's, not just that we're trying to like, I even had a participant say to me the other day, oh, you're, are you going to get me a girlfriend? Is it, I'm, I'm like, no, that's not my, that's not what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to do. That's, that's, you know, and, and, and he was like, and he was actually like, oh, good. Cause I, I don't want you to get me. I, I, I want to talk to you, but I don't. So I was like, okay, as long as we're clear, you know, we're, we're but so it's, it's, you know, starting sometimes is, is the hardest thing. And I know for me, speaking as an autistic person, I have dealt with my share of autistic inertia, which refers to that challenge with getting started on some things because they seem so overwhelming, right? And certainly trying to make friends or trying to date is incredibly overwhelming when you when you are just thinking of it as one big idea instead of breaking it down into kind of smaller pieces. And so that's why I try to encourage my participants to just take it one piece at a time. Like, let's just look at what, you know, what is a friend? What do you... Do you, do, you, do you want like I have another participant I said do you want to have you know like a few close friends or you want to have like lots of acquaintances and she said acquaintances she wanted to have she wants to be popular but she doesn't care if she has like lots of close you know a few close friends so everybody has a different you know desire and and, and a need to be met it's not all going to be the same so I just try to, to help the person find the starting point that works for them the, the short-term goal that works best for them whatever that's going to be and we can also set a long-term one too, but definitely we want to have those shorter-term ones to get us going. Robin, do you have anything to add to that as sort of a launching point for anyone who really desires a connection? I'm going to go back to what Amy said and how different, you know, everybody is, you know, of course, everybody says you meet one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum. I mean, that's really true. And everybody's going to have a different perspective. And, you know, my partner, Deborah and I have really thought long and hard and Simon and, and her daughter Leah, we've really developed something that I think is, is special because we have three different ways that you could be involved. One is as a basic member where you, you, you're part of the community. What does that mean? We have a private Facebook group. We do Saturday night Zooms, get togethers. And that we did that. We started that Simon, you know, request, not requested. He wanted to do this during COVID. And it's been a lifeline for a lot of kids during COVID because every Saturday night we would have either meet and greets, karaoke, games we play, not me. Simon ran it and Leah, Deborah's daughter, did the art ones. So you can be, so also community are Saturday night Zooms. We're now starting in-person meetups. We have a lot of ways we're building community. And that's for someone who really doesn't want to be matched. They want to do their own thing, make a lot of acquaintances, as Amy said. And then you can also do matchmaking without the, the coaching where the coach will match you. And then you do the dates, the Zoom dates or whatever you want in person, you know, yourself. Some people will want that. And then we have the really premium one, which involves coaching. So you have pre-dates. They're even on the dates to help facilitate if, if, if the member has trouble 
connecting and post-date to sort of, you know, download what did you like, what didn't you like, what could you do better, what was really good. So there's a, we have different ways for people to find their friendships, their love matches, and just get involved in in community in expanding their lives. And we did this specifically because of what Amy said. Everybody's different. They're going to want to connect, you know, in different ways. There is no one way, especially for anyone on the spectrum. So, um, you know, I think that's really important. It's really important when you do something like we're doing that we have a deep understanding of the neurodiverse and we have people that are on the spectrum of neurodiverse involved in the company itself because it's for them, you know? And um, yeah, it makes me, makes me, you know, it, it does like, I'm sorry, I get very emotional because it, this is important. It doesn't exist out there. And I think it will help so many people. Do you wanna share the name of the Facebook group so anyone can join? It, it's it's a private Facebook group. It's called Relation Spot, and you know it's going to be part of the Relation Spot community. Gotcha. So you can okay. look for it. You, you can look for it on Facebook. You know, through our work at Reed, it it feels like there's momentum. You know, really good momentum in terms of um, you know inclusive housing and workforce development, and um, certainly in education and adult services. But the the relationship piece remains sort of the, <laughs> the great frontier, you know, mm -hmm. that we just, we hear that from so many of our um, staff at our farm mm -hmm. and, you know, participants that they really long for a social opportunity um, similar to what they see their siblings experiencing. And um, it, I, I think mm -hmm. it's fraught with challenge. It is. It can be very confusing because the relationship that they see might not be what they experience, right? So, you know, like the grass is always greener. They see a happy couple and that's not what they're experiencing. And I think it's very difficult to match your idea with reality. Yeah, that's what Amy said is, you know, mm -hmm. it's really taking it back to basics, right, Amy? Like, let's first define what what is success to you, right? It's not the same too. That's why we all end mm -hmm. up with different people and different you yeah. know, careers because we're all different. But I also think what Robin said is important because while we're doing this, we keep hearing a recurring theme, which is stop building for us without us, right? Yeah. So if, if you want to do something for an autistic adult, you should include the autistic adult in the planning phase. A hundred percent. I don't think a lot of people give enough credit to, to, people that are neurodiverse, people on the spectrum. I do not, but, you know, and, and and I think that's very important, Amy. I know, I know you feel this way, but, you know, you really have to empower people to be involved in their lives. I mean, that's really what it's about. It's not about doing something for somebody, for them. It's really about involving them so they can create their, their lives. And I, and I think that, you know, going to what you're saying is that that's what's so, so important about building community. You know, neurotypicals are it's easier for us to, to to build a community a group of friends but when you're on the spectrum it's not so easy and so this community is so important because it's not only the coaches that get involved with them they need to talk to each other and communicate and say hey i did this or this didn't work or or just to like like people came to us when we started having more like games and karaoke on Saturday nights and a bunch of them came back and said we like the meet and greet because we just get to talk and express ourselves mm -hmm. and um 
And one thing I think that that's so important is I know that Amy is like, everything's out there. No, all bets are off. She'll talk about everything on the table openly. And that's what we need because the things you talk about, Amy, people think, oh, they're on the spectrum, they're neurodiverse, you know, no, they're just like everybody else. And they have the same needs, wants, and curiosities. Right? Amy, I think she's referring to your comment card. I really feel like you have to tell the comment card story. We can't not let that come up. Oh, sure, sure. Well, yes. Well, that's exactly. And and I mean, that's the interesting thing, Robin, is I agree. When I give my presentations, people will come up to me afterward and they'll say, I'm not autistic, but I totally relate to that. I went through something like that. And so I do think you know, we have as many, if not more similarities than we do differences. Um, and so in many ways, we are like everyone else. But we are also unique and we do have, you know, some challenges that require these, these supports. And the, again, for me, you know, in forging relationships and finding my way, I found kind of creative solutions to, to issues that I was facing. And one such solution was what has just been mentioned, which is the sexual intercourse comment card, which was that um, when, I, when I was getting ready to lose my virginity, when I was 22 years old, I, I was you know, very much in this place of kind of low self-esteem still. I, I had been bullied all through school. So my self-esteem was kind of non-existent and, and I was just slowly beginning to you know, find who I was and things like that. But um, as, as with you know, many autistic individuals, uh, I kind of was seeing things like, you know, I either were, you know, if I screw this up, nobody will ever want to have sex with me again. He'll never want to have sex with me again. Like, are we going to break up or what's going to happen? You know, I was seeing like 25 steps ahead instead of just what, what was happening in front of me. And so uh, with, with that you know, mindset in my, and wanting to please and wanting to, again, it's not just autism, that's just being a woman, I think in our society and that we're expected to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Um, I decided, you know, I, I, I need to know if I've done a good job. I need some kind of feedback, you know? I need, and, and so I thought, well, when you eat at a restaurant, you stay at a hotel, they have these cards that you can fill out. Um, and so I created a sexual intercourse comment card. Um, <laughs> to, to you know, so get feedback. And then it was questions like, you know, um, what, uh, what did you enjoy most about the sex session? What, what did, didn't happen that you'd like to have happen in the future? Please rate the following from a scale of one to five, my vocal volume during intercourse, my outfit pre-intercourse, my facial expressions, so on and so on. And then, and the, the, the guy, he, he filled it out. He humored me for whatever reason. He filled it out <laughs> that first time, but, but it wasn't until, until, many years later with the gift of hindsight that I began to realize that there was a problem with these questions, a problem I didn't see at the time. And it was that they were all about his pleasure and his enjoyment. There was nothing about whether I enjoyed myself. Um, and because the idea of my own pleasure was secondary if it existed at all, because again, being a woman in our society and then the autism. So I, I so badly wanted to please. I wasn't even thinking about what this would be like for me. And I just thought I would be overjoyed just because it was happening. And, you know, it, I came to learn as well that there's a difference between uh, having sex and somebody having sex with you, you know, being an active participant versus a passive one. I didn't know that at the time either. So that, you know, that takes time to build that confidence, to be able to say what you want in the bedroom, that's self-advocacy. That is a self-advocacy skill, right? When we're helping people on the spectrum learn to advocate for themselves, that applies to relationships too. Being able to say what your needs are in a relationship, being able to say say if something makes you uncomfortable, like that. Those are so those are so crucially important skills to have for a relationship. And so many autistic people are lacking those or are not taught those 
um, very much or even at all, and certainly not in that kind of context. And so that's what ultimately can lead to a lot of people on the spectrum ending up in abusive situations, abusive relationships that you know, that could be abusive in any form, emotional, physical, sexual, financial, whatever it might be, and not knowing that they're being abused because of not being told what abuse looks like and what do you do if you are being abused, who do you tell and, and, and things like that. So all of this kind of connects together. It's it's I was in a strange way, I was advocating for myself with that comment card because I was saying, I this is what I need. I need this information. Please fill out this card. You know, and, and it was it was the very nascent beginnings of that. And and it took, but it took longer for me to, you know, be able to speak up for myself in, in the bedroom and to to realize that that, you know, like I have a say in this. Like I and and it's so it's a, it's a process. It's a really long, ongoing process, and everybody's in a different place with it. You know, so I ha I have met Amy before, and we're speaking to her about you know doing uh, some of our speaker series for Relations Thought. We're going to have a speaker series launching a few months after we actually launch. But it's not only it's for it's for the members, period. But I also want to do a speaker series for parents because what you're saying, Amy, parents of of neurodiverse people, of people on the spectrum, do not want to know or understand or don't know and understand really about the sexuality and all of this for their kids. They think, oh, they can't handle it or whatever they may think. And I want it on the table because you know what? We're, we're su still supports for our kids. And, and I think that, that what you're talking about, sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing should be talked <laughs> about upfront with both kids and parents. And, you know, I, 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 there just shouldn't be a veil over it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you doing both the parent series with us as well as the, the members. <laughs> I'd be happy to. I've done that for other groups as well. One for parents, one for the participants. Absolutely. But I, I was just going to say, I think Amy has an incredibly funny way of discussing moving and important topics. And you did sort of just touch on safety. And I don't think, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't cover that real quickly. Tell me what you put in place to cover safety for everyone, um, Robin, participating in your program. And then Amy, if you just want to say a few things about how you advise safety measures um, with your participants. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things we have is that um, before you sign up as a member, you have a 15 minute call with one of our relations thought representatives because we want to vet everybody and make sure everybody's going to be safe. Um, and then after after you sign up, you get one hour with a coach one to one filling out all the questionnaires about you about what you're looking for, whether it's love or friendship, all kinds of questions. It's an hour of coaching and filling everything out, getting your photos uploaded. So you're you're getting vetted kind of twice before you, and that's true for every member. Every member goes through that hour. Uh, it's not only if you're a matchmaking member, even the basic members, because we want to know who our membership is. And even as we roll this out nationally, we're starting in New York, we're going to roll it out. We will have local coaches and all, and they will be doing Zoom calls to really vet everybody out. I think that's really critical. The safety issue is obviously, you know, paramount for our population. Amy, what are your thoughts on safety? Well, I think, you know, when we, if we have conversations about autism and sexuality, which we don't often, it's almost always in the context of safety. We hear a lot of concerns, you know, parents wanting to keep their children safe, which I understand. But for some reason, for some parents, safety seems to correlate with don't tell my child anything about sex at all. Um, and and that, that is not safe. That is actually the opposite of safe. 
Um, if you want to keep someone safe, you should empower them. And the best way to empower autistic individuals is to give them information, to give them comprehensive and accurate sex education, because we're going to need to make choices, um, you know, the same choices as our neurotypical peers when you're no longer here. And we're not going to be able to do that if we don't have all the tools that we could possibly have to use to make those choices. And sex education is one of those tools. And I think people, you know, they get freaked out because they hear sex education. They think we're teaching people on the spectrum how to have sex. We're not. We're teaching people on the spectrum how to live life. This, this, this is about life. It's not just about sex because relationships and intimacy are things that we create in all kinds of relationships um, long before you're thinking about going under the sheets with somebody. You can, you can create intellectual intimacy. You can create emotional intimacy. There's all different kinds. You can create a, a sense of intimacy with your coworkers, even at work. It's, it's you know, unique to that environment. So this is, a, this is the stuff of life. And, and you know, the fact is life is inherently full of risks. That's, that's, that's what it is. But you know, for me, the only way I, I could learn how to deal with a broken heart was to have my heart broken. You know, nobody could equip me for that or you know, prepare me for that. And, and that's, that's the simple thing is the way we learn from mistakes is by being able to make them, not by being prevented from making them. All that does is, is create somebody who's neurotic and terrified of ever making a mistake. You know, so, so it's, it's really that, that, that balance of, you know, letting people take an acceptable risk because that's what it is to be a human being. To, to deny, you know, individuals with autism the opportunity to fall in love, to get hurt, is to deny us part of the human experience. And it's not right. I think that is so well <laughs> incredibly important what Amy just said. You, you, you know, as a parent, it's really easy to be overprotective of someone who has, you know, you know, neurodiversity. And it is one of the things that will hurt our kids the most. We have to allow our kids, like we do our neurotypical kids, to fail. Because as Amy said, it's from the failing in a safe way, obviously, but it's from the failing, the broken heart, the the not the, the living on their own and, and not doing and not, not doing it successfully initially. That's how they're going to learn. Their goals and, and, and their ability to learn is different than ours. And if we don't allow them to do that, they're not going to be successful when we parents are not here. They can only learn survival skills by, survive, by learning to survive. And I think what Amy said is so important. And I think that my experience is that a lot of parents I know, a lot of them, are, including myself, I, I'm in that category, have been overprotective of our kids over the years, and it does not do them any service at all. They are human beings. They are capable of much more than people give them credit for, and they have to be allowed to experience it. Good, better, understand? Ugly. Yeah. So, so often the real learning is in experience because often red flags are hidden in nuances <clears throat> of language or behavior. And we really don't know it when we see it, but we know it when we felt it afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and that is really just an organic way of learning. And it, it needs to be, we need to pay more attention to that. And, and listen, it's how neurotypical people learn, right? You, you, you leave college, you go up on your own. You're not so successful. You, you, you fail at a lot of things. We have, we, we really, I think it's, it's, it's really a, a nano shift or maybe it's bigger than a nano shift of how we look at people that are neurodiverse because they're not really, as Amy said, they're not that different, right? The human experience is the same. They're just different challenges, but we all have different challenges of some sort of another. And I think, I think we, I think that the neurotypical world has to really change the way they 
perceive, conceive, and look at the, the neurodiverse? You know, I'm probably not going to be able to articulate this very well, but, you know, I'm, we, we talked about parents, right, and how parents um, can support uh, their autistic children in, in pursuing life and, and learning from their mistakes. We talk about inclusive housing. Um, and I'm just, I feel like today we've talked about the autism community forging relationships within the autism community. And so I, I'm just curious, what role does the neurotypical community play in creating an environment that is, or, or working with, you know, that is such a good question right? because to be inclusive and to be, everybody should be able to be social and, and yeah. have a good time together. And it shouldn't be an isolating experience. So you're reminding but, me of an Amy quote oh, and I can't, an there's an Amy quote and I'm going to screw it up. Oh, okay. So Amy, help me out. It was being asked to dance being verse versus being asked to the dance. Mm -hmm. Right. What's so, the so Amy quote? The diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. There you go. So it's, I love it, that. Okay. You, Amy. You're good. <laughs> she was that's not that's not mine. I did get I got that from some someone else, but I appreciate okay. that. But um, uh, uh, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Right, and and that I think that 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 point from all of you is so important. And so at Relations Spot, we're not we are for the neurodiverse, but. Neurotypicals are welcome to join as well. There are lots of neurotypicals that are shy or awkward or, or, or looking for connection and can't find it. We are all inclusive. So we're inviting everyone to the party and then we're asking everybody to dance with each other with all the activities and matchmaking and everything. I think that's so good, Amy, I have to use that. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I mean, I, it's interesting you brought up neurotypicals as well because also when I think of inclusion to me, it, it means folding autistic people into the fabric of, of society and, and you know, incorporating people into the larger culture, shifting that culture to make room for neurodivergent uh, people. And you know, the, the, to go back to Love on the Spectrum, that's, that was the thing that I thought was interesting is all the couples that are on it, whether they're couples that were already couples going into the show or the dates they put people on, it's either autistic, autistic, or autistic and another mental health diagnosis. There are no mixed neurology couples, which would be you know, an autistic, a neurodivergent person and, and it's a neurotypical person. And there are many relationships that are like that. There are, there are lots of autistic people who are in relationships with neurotypicals. And that I think is something that doesn't get um, paid enough attention to and the unique challenges that come with a relationship like that. And more often than not, if you see supports that are geared toward a relationship like that, it's support for the neurotypical partner dating the, the autistic person. Where's the support for the autistic person dating a neurotypical? That's often, you know, absent. Um, you know, it, go ahead. I, I was going to say my, my best friends, I have two, best friends, uh, they're two guys, they're engaged and one of them is neurotypical. The other one is on the spectrum and it is a great relationship. They've had their challenges here and there, but I'm telling you that it is a perfect balance and they're both of them equally my best friends. And, um, and I, it's funny because I have played a bit of a role in navigating some of it, both of them, because you're right, Amy, it's not only the, the support for the neurotypical, but, but my friend who's on the spectrum, like sometimes those kind of relation, interpersonal parts of the relationship are challenging and a little word here or there, you know, talking it through really helps. And I think, I think that, um, you know, you, you're just very smart to bring that up because it's not a one-way thing. People do think. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the autistic person that needs the support. They both need the support. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And and autistic people are also likely more likely to be in non-traditional relationships, you know, like like polyamorous arrangements or or other relationships that may be non-traditional. And we again we tend to, when we're thinking about relationships, kind of have this narrow perception of what that is. And and we we don't look at the fact that many people on the spectrum seek out alternate forms of relationships. And you know, that's that's something that needs to be discussed too. Okay, we're well, gonna save that for season two. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big conversation, guys. It is. I mean, our our whole time together today has been enormous. Mm -hmm. And I think it's given everybody a lot to think about. And I don't want to leave without doing a few rapid fire questions, if that's okay with you. Oh, sure. Okay. So um, I think we could start with Amy. And one of the questions we like to ask is, Amy, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Perfect happiness. Oh, my goodness. (sighs) A home cooked meal made by me. Oh, made by that you. others get to enjoy. Wow, oh, that's very generous. <laughs> we are available. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, me too. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, yeah, I love to cook, so absolutely. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Do you want to pick one for Robin? Sure. Um, let's see. Um, Robin, do you have a personal motto? Well, I do. So my, what I really live by is that if you know that you could make a difference, you have to. I, that's my motto. I love it. I think you're with kindred spirits here today. That sounds very change makery. <laughs> yeah, sure does. <laughs> right. So, okay. And then now you can both answer this. Amy, go first. Is there someone alive today that you really admire? Oh, gosh. Yeah, there, there's lots of people. It's, oh my goodness. I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> um, What's the first name that comes to mind? <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was somebody who's not alive. And I had to remember that they weren't alive. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll bend the rules. Who do you admire? What person do you admire? Um, well, my, my grandmother, who uh, was, was an amazing woman and I, I I saw some old home movies recently it was you know her back in like the, the 50s when my parent my mom was little and, and my aunt and uncle were little and I feel like I, I, I am seeing another part of her that I you know because you, you you know someone as your grandmother that's a different side than when they were younger but she was so glamorous she always you know dressed so beautifully and she loved to cook and entertain and I just feel so connected to her through through those those movies and she did so much you know to, to make people happy all the time and and I, I wish I could have had more time with her. Beautiful. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad you bended the rules. I yeah. like that answer. What's your grandmother's name? Amy, also. I'm named for her. I'm um, Amadea in Italian, then Amy in English. It all comes together. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. You're Robin, what person, living or deceased, do you admire most? Oh, my God. You know, I have, there are so many for different reasons, whether it's like, you know, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because of all the obvious reasons, Louise Hay, because of her positive thought and, and the impact she's had on, I'm, I'm very into positive thought and, and, and well, and I have to say, I'm going to say this, it's not gratuitous, it's because this person has been in my mind since I met her, and that's Amy. Amy, you have been in my mind so much because of who you are and what you've accomplished and the impact that you have. And I just really love it and respect it. And in my mind, it's like, it's just, it just resonates so much with everything that I'm in the throes of doing that I have to say that, that, that 
it has to, you have to be right up there because you're in my head all the time. <laughs> oh gosh, thank you, Rob. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Of all people living or dead, that's a lofty, you know, that's a lofty claim. <laughs> thank you. Bravo, Robin. I want to ask one more question before we go. Who would you each recommend to us that we should have on our podcast? Good question. We're looking for additional guests. So who's out there making some waves um, that we should talk to? I thought of, you know, Dr. Christopher Menente, who's the executive director of the Rutgers Center for Adult Autism Services. Mm -hmm. He's really been doing some amazing work, you know, getting all the, all the facets of the center up, up the ground and running. And it, it's a huge, huge task that he's undertaken. And He's you know, already making a difference, I think, in so many autistic people's lives and, and students and community members uh, on the spectrum there at Rutgers. So that's uh, I, I have to give some more. I know there's other people I could definitely recommend, um, but he's okay. one of them for sure. Thank you. So I think I would recommend Allison Kleinman. Do you know Allison? Oh, I know Allison. Allison was the really, I know you do, Amy, right? <laughs> she, was the, she really founded the adaptations um, and special needs department of the uh, JCC in Manhattan. And she just went out on her own, future-centered care. She, she actually puts families together with living situations and helps them on many, many levels. And she's really quite wonderful and she's very connected. And I know she'd have a lot to say about many different subjects. Well, we would like to thank both of you. I, I think I speak for Jen when I say that we could talk to you literally for hours. Um, the work that you're both doing is so incredibly important. And um, we would love to catch up with you at another time in the future. But we really appreciate your time today. And um, we're, we're grateful. We're really excited well, we about what projects you're working on and what comes next. So you definitely are going to have to keep us posted. Mm -hmm.